I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, there will sadly not be a review for Gnome Alone, as no theaters in my area wanted to play the movie. Or any area, as far as I can tell. In fact, I still don't believe Gnome Alone is a real movie, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, uh, in, in instead, we'll just have to review the Death Wish remake by Eli Roth and the latest from Jennifer Lawrence, Red Sparrow. Let's get started. Is he a hero? He's my life. Or is it wrong? You're cocked, locked, and ready to work. I'll say, someone took my wife. Everyone involved is going to pay. You look much better getting out socializing. Mm. Not so much. Well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. <laughs> okay, I will. I never did get the chance to see the Charles Bronson original of this movie, but I've heard things about it. I've heard that it's very much of its time, that it's uh, sort of in that same vein that created the um, the Punisher from Marvel Comics. And it, you know, it's a revenge fantasy in the guise of social commentary. And I, I don't know, I think it's just something that never really appealed to me, so I never sought it out. And uh, why are they remaking Tremors? Uh, I'm sorry, I just saw that there's doing a, they're doing a TV movie of Tremors and Kevin Bacon is attached to it for some god note, some, um, some godforsaken reason. Um, but uh, I bring Kevin Bacon up because uh, he was essentially in a Death Wish remake of sorts, He's in what would what the kind of movie that would be a Death Wish remake called Death Sentence, uh, directed by the create the uh, creator of Saw, not cre- not the creator of Saw but uh, one of the guys behind the Saw series, James Wan, uh, who also went on to direct Furious Seven and the Conjuring movies. Uh, apparently, he also helped produce the MacGyver reboot, which I don't know if it's any good, but yeah. Uh, Juan made essentially his own ver- his own Death Wish remake with Kevin Bacon. Ooh, Garrett Hedlund is was in that, and so is Kelly Preston uh, and Aisha Tyler. Um, but I remember that being fine, you know, very exploitative. But essentially, that's kind of what I pictured Death Wish was as well, very much an exploitation revenge fantasy, but in the guise of a commentary on the rising crime rates. Without you know. Pointing out what caused the rising crime mates. It's just one man going vigilante because he his wife got killed. Instead of, you know, helping to actually clean up the streets, he, he his version of justice is going out and committing murder. And everyone's okay with it because the murder, the people being killed are quote-unquote bad guys. And that's the thing. Life is not that, that black and white. It's, ni- it's a nice fantasy... That is that a lot of conservatives, uh, very well, m- a lot of mostly fervent conservatives hold, and that's why it was big in the '70s at a time when there was a lot, you know, there was there's a lot of fallout from uh, from Vietnam, and there's a lot of disenfranchisement, and conservatives saw that as a uh, as you know a drop in family values, and that's why you saw that kind of push from the Reagan era of. of of, of traditional family values garbage 
was in the wake of the rising crime rates in the 70s. But instead of actually tackling the causes behind that, because that's not, you know, action-packed, they decided to just turn a white guy into a vigilante against street thugs, i.e., you know, poor, disenfranchised people of color, mostly. And uh, especially given that it's it, the, the new version is in Chicago, it is very... This dude kills mostly white guys. Uh, this remake is done by Eli Roth, who really, I don't think, has ever... I mean, it's debatable whether or not he's even made a good movie, because the stuff that people go to, things like Hostel... And, um, oh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Cabin Fever, uh, he, he was, he was a producer on, he, you know, he's a guy who hangs out with, uh, Tarantino for the most part. And his work as a writer and director has been, um, uh, Hostel, Cabin Fever, and The Green Inferno. So he he's mostly just a producer on stuff, and in, he's not exactly uh, you know well, ver- you know he's not exactly a great uh, writer director when those are the only parts that he the only stuff that he's really known for. And then of course he also did the uh, Thanksgiving uh, short fake trailer for Grindhouse, but. And also apparently he wrote on The Man with the Iron Fists, which was a vehicle for the RZA. And so, yeah, like, Roth is not exactly a luminary. He's not exactly uh, someone who's not exactly in the same league as guys like, whore guys like Wes Craven or John Carpenter. So for him to be tasked with the Death Wish remake, you might think, well, they're giving it to Eli Roth. He's a gorehound. He's all about blood and guts and viscera going all over the place, so it's going to be a torture porn. And yet, it's not that. It doesn't... It, tr- it tries to be that at points, especially towards the end. They want to try and make use of the squibs, but for the most part, it's pretty clean. and Most of it is pretty bloodless, so the whole reason for have Eli Roth there is is pointless. It, it, it doesn't... There's no reason for it. And as for, like, a commentary, they want to try and shift it from the crime rates in New York in the 70s to the rising murder rates in Chicago currently. But at no point does Roth even, you know, look into what... Because that's the thing. People who are aware of what's going on in Chicago, know what the problem is. Mostly it's that the city is very segregated. The poor the poor have been segregated to one, to the south side of the city. And since the most of the, since the city doesn't really take care of them, they don't give them education or, you know, job, a lot of job opportunities. And it's, you know, not exactly um, feasible to go all the way across town for work and come back to live in a hellhole. Then most of these people have no choice but to go outside the legal means of earning money. So drugs and prostitution and probably not prostitution, but a lot of, but when you're in that sort of environment that's been fostered by a very neglectful city, you start to build some, your own sort of uh, structure in the wake of not having one by the government. So you get gang violence and you get, you know, a lot, lots and lots of dark, of, 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 uh, not dark, um, black market sort of, 
settings. You know, you get that it's the same thing with any crime addled area. It's mainly because the city wasn't well. It was designed to keep the keep the poor and especially the people of color disenfranchised from the rest of the of society and to keep the rich white people safe. I mean, I think anybody who pays attention to that sort of thing thinks. I mean, you look at redlining. Um, the the practice. Uh, who was just talking about this? Was it Redis? Was it Redis or was it uh, Sean or H Bomber guy? Shoot, who was t- who was just who was? I just watched a YouTube video about this. I'm gonna go back to my YouTube history and find it. But basically, uh, the idea is that uh, cities have been redlined. In areas where mostly people of color, especially black people, should live, quote unquote, where they where they don't work to keep them instead of instead of the wealthier white people. Um, If I can find the video, I think it, it must have been Laron Reedus. Uh, in his Black Panther, in his Black Panther was Killmonger right video because that's the only one really tackling the topic uh, that I've watched in recent years. Because nothing else, everything else is you know video games, silly stuff, some funnier die sketches. Um, so yeah, uh, go, I I just heard of Laron Reedus through uh, through uh, his collaboration with. Lindsay Ellis over *The Shape of Water* and the idea and uh, how it uses monster movies as coding for uh, people of color, interracial dating, uh, LGBT relationships. It's very; those are very; they're both very good. Uh, highly check them out. Uh, Lindsay's is where is it? Where is it? Hold on. Very well prepared this episode, obviously. Uh, Lindsay's is uh, my monster boyfriend, uh, and Laron Reedus R E A D U S is falling in love with monsters. Um, both very good. It must have been uh, Reedus's Black Panther video because it's the only thing ta- tackling the subject that I watched recently. But yeah, basically. Cities, major metropolitan cities, both north and south, would redline uh, districts as, as code for sell property to colored people here and sell property to white people here. And if you look at Chicago's, most of the most of the rising crime rates are in the redlined south side of the city. So if it's any is it any wonder that that city that that part of the city is the one suffering through a lot of crime at the, you know high rise and gang related violence and uh, a lot of and a lot of rising crime when that's the part that you disenfranchise that you left impoverished and to fend for itself. Uh, but this isn't about. But I'm actually going more into. Uh, the t- the the background of this movie than the movie does itself because that's the thing as I'm talking about redlining and the treatment of impo- people in, people in on the lower end of the income brackets 
and uh, and people who have been disenfranchised by society. Death Wish does none of that. It has no real, no. It has no real like point to make about why that's the problem because it wants to be a conservative fantasy of good guy with a gun. In fact, there are whole points where it it almost comes off as an NRA commercial. In the wake, and that's why people are almost holding it against it by being in the wake of the Parkland shooting. But if it wasn't the Parkland shooting, it was going to be something else. Because guess what? We didn't need this movie again. We don't need the good guy with a gun fallacy to be paraded out like like they're the kind of hero. Because that's the thing. The Punisher... Is not a good guy. He's an anti-hero. He was a. He, that's why he was introduced as a villain. What Frank Castle does is wrong, and that's his character arc in the Netflix series for a reason. Because that's the point that he is wrong, and this movie completely, completely is oblivious to that. It has no idea. How to do? How, how to tell this kind of story in the present day, given what we know and given and given what we've been told? Because this wants to maintain this sort of notion of a vigilante protecting and saving the city by killing the bad people, as though that's gonna solve the problem. Because that's the thing. If you made it about how this guy realizes what he did was wrong and coming to, and realizing the fact that he is the bad guy with the gun because the, when you have the gun, you are the bad guy, essentially, then that would be a storyline. That would be a character arc. But no, this movie is just conservative wish fulfillment. Uh, and that's the thing. I try not to make it political, but it's hard not to... With this topic and with this movie, and apparent, and even with this franchise, because that's the whole point of, of of the of the setting and of the themes of the of the original, that it was conservative wish fulfillment of a good guy with a gun cleaning house in a crime-addled city because the liberal policies weren't working, and it's more that the city itself was broken and didn't really take and didn't really you know foster ed- education job opportunities. My point is that this this franchise is conservative wish fulfillment the same way that um oh what's a good counter um I guess easy a is very much sort of liberal wish fulfillment the idea of the this very well to do liberal family and, or like uh, um so much of Fifty Shades of Grey is wealth porn. It, this is the kind of like, the idea that it's not full on exploitation, but this is the mentality that the fans of this movie will share. You know, it's how like so many people, so many libertarians buy into the ethos of Fight Club, uh, or why? Uh, mm, what's another good example? Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, that's you know, you, if you get what I'm saying, that's what I'm trying to say. That the idea is death wish is for people who believe the good guy with a gun fallacy, and it is a fallacy because te- that the thing is when you have a gun and you're in a situation 
where there's a shootout, nobody who has the gun is the good guy because you're wielding a murder machine. You can enjoy your murder machine all you want. You can shoot at targets or just hear the noises go off. Just remember, the thing is a murder machine. It's not a tool. It's a murder machine. Whether it's the life, of, the lives, of whatever the living thing is, the gun was designed to end it. That's the whole point of, that's why we went from, it's like saying, oh, the bow and arrow is it, is a murder. Yeah, the bow and arrow was designed to kill things. And the gun is an improvement on the bow and arrow. Just like the spear was designed to murder things. You can say, oh, it's a tool used to hunt. Hunting is murder. You're, you know, the, it's just murder with a point. You know, you're murdering, a li- you're, murder- you're ending the life of a living thing. I mean, you can split hairs on whether that, you know, whether what murder is, legally speaking. But, by, but you're ending life with it. It's used to end the life of something that was alive. That's all I'm saying. And I, think, I feel like this p- review is getting way too political for my taste. When, all, when, uh, when, uh, when the problem with the movie, but I think that's the problem with the movie itself, is that it's got nothing to say. It really just, it doesn't have anything to say about Chicago or the crime rates or even the, the fallacy of the good guy with a gun because it's all wish fulfillment. And unfortunately, it's really crappy wish fulfillment because Bruce Willis can't, de- can't depict anything besides, um, oh, what's the term for it? Just resentment and just, you know, the sort of, the idea that, ah, oh, fine, I'll do it. Uh, the... The, just give up, giving up. Bruce Willis has given up on making a good movie, and casting like here's the, and the crazy part is you had a good actor. Vincent D'Onofrio plays Bruce Willis's brother. You make Vincent D'Onofrio this guy, we could probably have all who knows how many levels of pathos going on because Vincent D'Onofrio can act his ass off. We can see D'Onofrio because trying to. Deliver an arc to this character where there wasn't one. Willis gives the same stone-faced, I don't give a damn look throughout the entire movie. So why should we care? He he doesn't. Why should we? And nobody else in this movie is any good. But any good aside from D'Onofrio, like Dean Norris is basically giving the given the table scraps of his role on Breaking Bad, and then you've got. Um, Elizabeth Shue wasted as as Willis's wife who gets killed in the first act and everyone else all the extras and the, even the girl playing his daughter just just are are serviceable they're not great they're just, they're just they're they're there they exist and the bad guys surprisingly all white dudes cuz even Eli Roth knew not to try and make this about race even though the south side is predominantly black and Hispanic, and that's where most of the crime is. He decided the vigilante is only going after mo- only going after white dudes. So good on those aesthetics, Eli Roth. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Death Wish was not a property we needed to bring back. It was MGM only did it because they own it and they don't, and they're trying to recoup all their losses since they're. Since their reboot, their their restart, you know, MGM was went bankrupt for years, and now they're trying to build themselves back up 
by whoring themselves out to uh, to anybody willing to take one of their old franchises and make something of it again. And for some reason, they thought Death Wish was the one to bring back because it had like a dozen sequels. And yeah, we don't need it. So go, please skip it. Uh, even if you like the first one, even if you like the Bronson one, you'll probably you'll probably hate this one because it's just ultimately not very good. We can't trust a word that comes out of her mouth. There's something else we're not seeing. If she's compromised, she will be eliminated. What have you done? You belong to them. They will never let you go. I'll find a way. for Red Sparrow that uh, it came out the same weekend as Death Wish so it had something to work off of and be better than. Unfortunately it also came out the same weekend as the Oscars so much like how Super Bowl weekend had just Winchester come out. I doubt that people are really concerned with giving a uh, you know putting out their best work the weekend that most of Hollywood will be at an awards show. You know the Nobody's really going to be concerned with what came out this weekend because there's something bigger going on. And I can tell why they planned this because Red Sparrow is just ultimately not that good. Uh, As far as spy thrillers go, this is about as boring as Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy can be at, at, at the worst points of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. But Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was way more thought out. This one is pretty formulaic, ultimately, and it's just more of Jennifer Lawrence torturing herself, getting her, not torturing herself, but, like, depicting torture of a woman on screen. Again, so, like, Mother depicted emotional torture, this one, this one depicts physical abuse and rape and, you know, actual water torture. So... I don't know why Lawrence is picking these roles in particular. I don't know if she thinks because they're provocative or, you know, controversial that that's going to make the movie any good. But Mother was very much a pretentious uh, think piece about man and the cre- and the creative mind is Darren Aronofsky saying oh he himself is 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 likened to a god and then also talking about mother earth and how we've treated her while also depicting the events of the bible for some reason i don't know mother is kind of pointless ultimately except to watch Jennifer Lawrence get tortured emotionally and be abused by someone that that is supposed to be caring for her which, once again, if you're into that sort of stuff, fine, but uh, just I, I get I get the metaphor and the and the allegory behind it. It's just not all that compelling or interesting. He doesn't really have anything all that new to add. And for uh Lawrence here, it's just like what what I don't get what the goal behind depicting this kind of violence towards women gains is it just like oh yes it this happens to women and it's awful and yeah but it doesn't 
it's it feels very out of place because ultimately it doesn't really have anything to do with the story of her being roped into being a spy because it's it's just not all that well thought out i mean like the first act deals with her going to what she you know rightfully calls whore academy uh where she learns to be used sex as espionage or what i like to dub sexpionage and i'm sure i'm not the first one to coin that term but yeah she's basically went, goes to a school funded by the russian government to essentially create a bunch of mataharis if you know that reference and i there's a there's a woman i feel like doesn't hasn't gotten any kind of major play as a figure in uh biopics in years what's the last matahari movie we had i'll look that up because that's more interesting than this movie sadly um but yeah the whole thing is that she is a double agent or some i think but you, it's hard to it really is hard to tell whose side she's on because i don't even know if she knows what side she's on because it's not once again it's not a very well thought out story <laughs> and 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 the thing about uh this movie is is just when it comes to spy thrillers this doesn't have maybe the book is better but this movie is more focused on like spending an inordinate amount of time uh depicting its lead actress getting raped assaulted and ulti- and just being in the worst situations to the point where she almost also makes out with her own uncle because apparently he's into that sort of thing and it's it's like oh the it's it tries to play it off as like liberation like woman being in control of her own body but ultimately it's all titillation it's all it, it does feel the first act is so exploitative that when it goes to just being a by the numbers spy thriller it doesn't really deliver on anything all that compelling because you spent so much we we really rare, we didn't really get to know her as a character because you spent so much time you know having her be depicted as violently uh, violently uh violated <laughs> violently violated and yeah like it feels it, it it feels to overstep its own um its own premise because like it feels like it what does it like things logically would have happened wouldn't have happened the way it did in the movie because in the movie it's padded out to take longer to be more titillating and to be more exploitative in regards to Lawrence's character and more so to her body. And yeah, it's, it's not, I think it's horror school, not horror Academy. I called it Ho Academy, but it's, it, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I got sidetracked because once again, talking about this movie is, doesn't really war, you know, it's not really warranted. Like what are we gonna say? It's a by the, it's 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 it, you know I I saw Bridges Spies. It wasn't all that great of a spy movie. I saw Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. It was very dry, but it was at least compelling in terms of the espionage. Here, the spy stuff is kind of lackluster and deadpan almost. Like there's not really a lot of energy behind it. There's not really a lot. It's more like 
matter of fact. And so it's not all that thrilling when everyone's kind of feels bored by the whole thing. It feels so mundane. And not to say that it needs to be a Bond movie or anything, but, like, it, there should be, like, tension or, you know, like, there should be, like, energy and some kind of passion behind this movie. And it feels like there just isn't. It, oh, they made a series in 2016. About Matahari. It looks like it's Russian in origin. Russian or Eastern European? Let me see. Uh, Russia, Portugal, Ukraine. Yeah, because Vahina Jokante, Alexei Guskov, Victoria Isakova. Yeah, so there was a Russian TV series in 2016, a movie in 1985, and one from 1931. So... We haven't really had any uh, depict, and for those who don't remember, Matahari was a notorious double agent during the World War One, and she became known for using her sexual appeal and desire and attractiveness in order to gain secrets from one side to give it to the other. Uh, during World, oh no, it was World War Two. Dutch exotic dancer Matahari secretly moonlights as a German spy, using her feminine wiles to seduce French and Russian agents into bed so she can uncover top secret information. And she's often much, kind of like how I commented on how Delilah during the Samson review is depicted as sort of like, you know, the irredeemable, the irredeemable whore, the one who, uh, who ruins the life of, of her, uh, of the, of, of the man by seducing him. That seemed to be the case with Matahari, but I feel like there's more behind her and I feel like a re- a, you know, a, a look back into her actual life and not what was not her... Wait, why does it say World War II? When she died in 1917, it was World War One. So the movie... <laughs> uh, I'm finding typos all over the place. Um, like, I'm reading through Mudbound right now, and I'm finding... In a professional publication, in a book that made it all the way to print, I'm finding run-of-the-mill typos. And it threw me off so hard that somebody missed that. Where are the proofreaders on this? Did they just skim the book and say, yeah, it's fine. And it's not, I mean, it's like little things. So, like, I kind of get it. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was World War One. So, I feel, but I feel like revisiting her life and, the, her, and depicting it more accurately to show why she chose to side with the Germans. Is it because of her Dutch heritage? Was there someone, you know, was there something else going on behind it? Was there something about uh, France's interaction, you know, her interactions with, you know, French, with the French government at the time? Why would, you know, why did she do what she did? And I don't know if the 31 movie uh, did anything like that. But I feel like that's worth revisiting. As for Red Sparrow, yeah, it's... It's a by-the-numbers spy thriller that starts off by going by seeing Jennifer Lawrence once again be depicted in you know being horribly treated and violated on camera, uh, or made to look like she's being horribly violated on camera because apparently that's her thing now. Passengers is her being gaslit. Mother is her being abused, and this is her being physically violated. I 
I don't know what her age. I don't know why. What I don't know why her and her agent are picking these roles, but I, I, I feel like her uh, her disdain for playing Mystique is to her downfall because Mystique ultimately has more character than anything she's been in her straight movies and her non comic book movies. Uh, not that Mystique's very well written post First Class, but. Yeah, it's better. Her and First Class and Days of, Day, Days of Future Past are way better than Passengers to Red Sparrow. Uh, so yeah, can't exactly recommend Red Sparrow either. But uh, we're not gonna. T- we're but we're done talking about new releases. Now let's get into some awards talk, and we're getting to the big one today. After the break, we'll be talking the 90th Annual Academy Awards, as well as the 38th Annual Golden Raspberry Awards, and why both of them can suck it. The four of you enter a dark room lit only by two torches. In between the torches stands a robed figure with a long white beard. Greetings, travelers. The fate of the realm is in your hands. What is it that you require? Uh, well, I was just saying that I probably could use an insurance policy on the realm as a whole because if we're the ones saving it, uh, I may be getting a chance to cash that in. You know, I was just wondering um, how intelligent can some of these creatures be before it gets weird if I eat them? Pid DM would be really nice. Oh, I guess it's my turn. Damn it. <laughs> no, keep that yeah, use that one. Join our bumbling protagonists as they try not to die, and maybe save the world in the process. Welcome to Tragic Missile. ceremonies themselves, I figured I'd give a little backstory. I mean, most of you know the Academy Awards, the Oscars. It's the big one. It's the one that kind of started it all. And funny story, it was built out of a labor dispute. You see, um, uh, what is his name? Graham Mayer, I think? Uh, One of the founders of MGM uh, wanted a way to deal with labor disputes uh, outside of forming a union, because they were very much anti-union during the twenties, they saw unions as being socialist and anti-American. You know, uh, what's his name? Henry Ford thought the same way, and so Louis B. Mayer. I don't know where I got Graham from. Um, I guess it was just a name at the time. Uh, Louis B. Mayer, uh, the head of MGM, met with. Uh, uh, Met with a couple of uh, higher, big names in the industry at the time. And, uh, you know, like he met with a, a couple of his actor friends, one of his actor friends, a major director, and as well, and the head of the producer, the, the, the 
sort of precursor to the Producers Guild, I think. The um, Association of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which I guess is still functioning? Huh. So I wonder what differentiates that from the Producers Guild of America. Uh, but he met with... He wanted, didn't want... He wanted a way to kind of... Get, he wanted an organization that would mediate with labor disputes rather than to have all these union, you know, rather than to deal with the unions themselves. He wanted some kind of mediary. And so he helped found, Louis B. Mayer helped found the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And, and it was, so it was helped to mediate labor disputes. And it wasn't until a couple of years after it was initially founded. Uh, it was formed in 1927. And so in 1929, was when they started hosting the Academy Awards in order to, uh, you know, showcase the best film had to offer at the time, and so 1929, I think I believe it was 1929 was the first Oscars, and and uh, it was since and it was since the, and there was like one year, 1930 saw two Oscars that year. There's a uh, oh oh hell. The guy, the guy in charge of the Academy right now, as of this recording, is also named John Bailey. His, his has H and I in the in name. Mine does not. But there is a John Bailey running the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences as we speak. Funny how that works. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was formed to, to mediate labor disputes. At a time when they were, when the when the country was very anti-union, and so as after you know after a couple of years of its since its formation, and more and more members are starting to join, they held a a small banquet, kind of like how companies will do to honor their own members. That's essentially what the Oscars started as a small fifth. The first Oscars was fifteen minutes. It was quick, bing, bing, bang, in, out, we're done. <laughs> and since then has become a spectacle and 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 uh it was the kind of major award ceremony for Hollywood for the longest time uh you know like i think the i think every nothing i think the golden globes came out uh in the 50s or 60s or something uh when did the golden globes form Golden Globes. Where are we? Founded in 1944. Okay, so 30 years. So the Golden Globes have been around since about the uh, since about the since about the early days of television as a means for the Foreign Press Association. Or did they or did they add TV later? Let's see. Group of writers banded together to form the Hollywood Press Association, and by creating a generously distributed award called the Golden Globe Award, they now play a significant role in film marketing. Yeah. But she means in 1943 filmmaking. Uh, when did they start awarding television? Uh, qualifying eligibility calendar year January 1 through December 31. 70 minutes, TV program must air. So then, when did it start? 
awarding television. Because I don't think they, because television wasn't really a major thing until the late 50s. There we go. 14th annual. Uh, 1957 is when they started awarding, uh, awarding television. And prior to that, it was just film. So the Golden Globes are, were the second major one to come out, uh, with the Oscars being the first one in 1927. But yeah, uh, and for the longest time, most of these awards shows were fairly, uh, fairly innocuous. Like it, it, you know, it was just there was just these, pe- you know, the same way that uh, other organizations hold their own award ceremonies. This was just Hollywood's way of doing it. And so, in nineteen, what was this? Thirty. Let's see, thirty-eight. So. Let me pull up the the first year it was held. Um, but uh, in nineteen okay nineteen eighty one, uh, a publicist named John B. J. B. Wilson uh, held potluck parties at his house in Los Angeles on the night of the Academy Awards. In nineteen eighty one, after the fifty third Oscars he had completed for the evening, Wilson invited friends to give random award presentations in his living room. Decided to formalize the event after watching a double feature of Can't Stop the Music and Xanadu. He gave them ballots to vote on the worst in film. Wilson stood at a podium, made a cardboard in a tacky tuxedo with a foam ball attached to a broomstick as a fake microphone. And announced Can't Stop the Music as the first Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture. So this is basically a bunch of Hollywood uh, insiders screwing around in the guy, at their friend's house and probably after they've had a, a few drinks and it's like, hey, let's give up the worst in film. And uh, as time has gone on, apparently John J.B. Wilson is, con- is pretty much considered like one of the oldest uh, iterations of a troll. Uh, let me see. Held Pollock, da 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 Term raspberry using its reverence says, as in blowing a raspberry. Uh, author of Blame It on the Dog. When I registered the term at the Library of Congress, asked me why raspberry. What the, blah, 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 blah. Um, official Razzie movie guide. I previously da, da, da. Where's the stuff about him, though? I thought people were like, he's basically a giant troll. Why? Mm. Or maybe it was Mo Murphy that they were talking about, not J.B. Wilson. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, so basically it was formed out of a joke, and uh, as more people started to come to hang out with his potlucks, and uh, uh, oh wait, attendance doubled at the second annual Razzie Award ceremony in the following years, and by the fourth Golden Raspberry Awards event received coverage from CNN and two major newswires. And, okay, so, hmm, maybe, oh, maybe his Wikipedia doesn't have it. But uh, for some reason I heard, oh, here we go, this is where it was, it was a cracked article. Uh, this is from early last, from last year's Oscar season. Uh, this is from, by Carolyn Burke over on Cracked.com, and she's pointing out the major reasons the Razzies are kind of garbage. Uh, anybody willing to pay mem- anyone willing to pay enough money can vote in the Razzies. So it's not like 
insiders or anything voting. It's it's anybody with money. Uh, reinforces the prejudicial Hollywood system. Uh, for all the lack the ho- flack that Hollywood gets for being a viper sense of liberal multiculturalism, it sure loves almost exclusively congratulate to almost ex- exclusively congratulate white guys. Uh, the kind of myopia seems like ripe picking for something like the Golden Raspberries to make fun of, but that would require the Razzies to truly want to see Hollywood change for the better. Uh, appear to challenge the industry's laziness. It also seems to perpetuate Hollywood's prejudiced social norms. In 2015, incidentally, the year that Laverne Cox became the first transgender person to be nominated for an acting Emmy, couldn't stop themselves from referring to Transformers Age of Extinction as Trannies 4. We're sure you all agree that this is clearly the bravest joke an award show d- dedicating to punching up at cynical Hollywood elites could make. Uh, black actors don't exactly receive a fair hearing from the Razzie crew either. In the past 35 years, black actors have won Academy Awards only 13 times, and that's, le- that's less than one out of every 10 awards. Oddly enough, that's still impressive scoring how few non-white roles there are in Hollywood. In the same time span, the Razzie episode 14 awards to black actors. So, black actors have won more Razzies than Academy Awards. That's fun to think about. Um... Razzies do nothing but restate criticisms of hugely popular movies. And the Razzies founder is a bitter film student turned troll who failed to break into Hollywood. Uh, yet somehow they feel more relevant than ever. That's something about the dismissive tone, the reinforcing of backward social norms, the ignorant trolling. That shouldn't have taken us that long to figure out, especially since the Razzies founder is a big-time troll himself long before the internet was... Yep, here it is. John J.B. Wilson, creator of the Razzies, is a former film student turned marketer who never went anywhere in the industry. That might make it sound like we're calling Wilson bitter, and we are. Take, for example, the fact that in 1980, at the time, poorly received The Shining was nominated for two Razzies. Wait. How can that be if the Razzies was founded in 1981? Are they talking about that, that first Razzies... The first Golden Raspberry Awards held in 31 for the year 1980. And he nominated The Shining. Uh, Let's see. Competition. Can't stop the music. Flash Gordon. Shelley Duvall for Worst Actress. Uh, Stanley Kubrick for Worst Director. Uh, okay, so it was only nominated. It was nominated a couple of times, but yeah, The Shining was nominated for a Razzie Razzie Awards in the first year. Uh, okay, yeah, there it is. Two, two nominations: Worst Actress for Shelley Duvall and Worst Director for Stanley Kubrick. Since then, a lot of critics have made a massive U-turn, and the movie now enjoys a reputation as one of the greatest horror movies of all time. But Wilson utterly refuses to acknowledge that maybe, just maybe, he might have chosen a film that didn't really deserve scorn. He still defends giving Kubrick's masterpiece at crap, and to this day claims that the film had no tension and that Kubrick had zero respect for the source material. That's pretty rich coming from a guy who, inve- who invented a way to disrespect filmmakers long before people could go on Twitter to yell at Zack Snyder. He also refuses to admit that Brian De Palma, director of such great as Carrie and The Untouchables, could possibly have any artistic merit. No, Wilson insists he once saw dailies for Scarface and could instantly tell that the pommel was incompetent. If only Rotten Tomatoes was around then so he could blindly copy from them and avoid these mistakes. The movie industry merits being taken down a peg or two, especially during the long, Oscar, long winter Oscar season when people keep warm by patting each other on the back. 
But as long as the Razzies are the self-proclaimed arbiter of the worst of the industry, both Hollywood and the rest of us deserve much, much better. Shout out to uh, Carolyn Burke for that article, uh, which I cribbed heavily from just now. <laughs> but yeah, that the whole that kind of leads into my point that and the Oscars have their own pro- have a lot of their own problems, and the Razzies address none of them because the people behind the Razzies are punching up at big budget blockbusters. Like, let's take a look at the nominees for this year. Nominees for this year are Emoji Movie, Baywatch, Fifty Shades Darker, The Mummy, Transformers, Mother, for some reason. Mother's on there. Uh, Daddy's Home 2, Unforgettable uh, for Katherine Heigl, The Circle for Emma Watson, Boo 2 of Medea Halloween, uh, which is... which. Which is which? Sub, which nominated Tyler Perry as best as worst actress? Uh, Daddy's Home Two, Collide, and Transformers. Oh God, they actually acknowledged the existence of Collide. Um, Snatched, Bad Mom's Christmas. Uh, mo- but mostly it's Baywatch, The Emoji Movie, Fifty Shades Darker, and The Mummy, and the Transformers movie. Uh, This is, so yeah, nominations for this year, or this past year, were Transformers, The Last Night, Fifty Shades Darker, The Mummy, Baywatch, The Emoji Movie, Boo to Medea Halloween, Mother, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and Daddy's Home Two. And most of these were fairly, uh, po- fairly popular at the box office, like. Bad Mom's Christmas net a hundred million dollars. Baywatch also a hundred million. Daddy's Home Two got a hundred ten. Fifty Shades Darker like these are big budget blockbusters for the most part. Aside from like smaller stuff like how somehow the movie Collide, which I reviewed way early last year, which is Anthony Hopkins, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Ben Kingsley and Nicholas Holt. And this really lazy direct-to-video grade uh, thrill, action thriller that managed to lose sixteen million dollars because it somehow cost twenty million to make and only got four back. But most of these net over a hundred million dollars. Like aside from Collide, which lost money, Mother, uh, Snatched, and Unforgettable are the only ones that are under a hundred million dollars. It looks like. Uh, although the circle and boo to a Medea Halloween were also under a hundred at twenty million dollars for their net for their net worth, but they're all mo- these are all just regularly panned movies. Not that they don't deserve to be acknowledged as bad, but like Mother is the highest rated at sixty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes and seventy five out of a hundred on Metacritic, and I feel like it's only there. As a, as like a thumbing their nose at a at an art house style movie, like the mo- mother was not good. It's not Razzie's grade bad either. Like it's 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 it, it's very poorly thought out and executed. But it, to be nominated alongside things like Transformers, uh, Boo to a Medea Halloween, like then Razzie's are just lazy. They're lazy trolls. Honestly, you know what? 
Personally, I think the staff over at The Onion could come up with a better anti-Oscars ceremony. The Razzies is not it, and I feel like The Onion could do better. Or maybe get uh, maybe get the Harvard Lampoon to do it. So you know, people with some genuine comedy merit behind them, because the Razzies don't have it. And yeah, the, and I could do an entire separate podcast on how terrible the Oscars are, but I feel like these uh. These are going to go long, so since the Razzies came out first, uh, let's get them out of the way and then we can talk about the Oscar ceremony. And the award goes to... Woo! Last one for the year. Uh, Let's talk about the Razzies. So, like I said, it's fairly easy punching bags for the Razzies, because these are just like the ones that everyone kind of admitted are bad, openly. And so it's not like it's exactly breaking new ground when it comes to bad movies. But let's uh let's uh take a look at the nominations. So um we're going uh from the bottom. So uh, the their version of the uh sort of uh rec- uh their their like recognition uh, of um like the Cecil B. DeMille Award that I think the Golden Globes does. Or like the Governor's Award that um, the Oscars put on. Uh, their version is the Barry L. Bumstead Award. You know? So hilarious. And that goes to Chips, which somehow couldn't get its own nominations in the movie. Like, honestly, you could remove Mother and put Chips in. It would be much more appropriate. But um, the Razzie nominee so rotten, you loved it. Nominees were the same as the usual. The same ones. Once again, Transformers 5. Mum, the Mummy remake, Fifty Shades Darker, the Emoji Movie, and the winner was Baywatch. Baywatch was the most liked out of all the of the major nominees. And it, once again, these are like the five nominees that encompass the entire award. So worst screenplay, Transformers Five, the Mummy remake, Fifty Shades Darker, Baywatch, and the winner was the Emoji Movie. Worst prequel, remake, ripoff, or sequel. Well, hey, they're all mostly. That, so Transformers 5, The Mummy Remake, Boo 2 and Medea Halloween, Baywatch, and the winner was Fifty Shades Darker. You know, breaking new ground, making fun of Fifty Shades. Worst screen combo. Nominees, Tyler Perry in either the ratty old dress or the worn out wig for Boo 2 and Medea Halloween. Johnny Depp in his worn out drunk routine. They used worn out, they used worn out twice for these nominations. So what, what, they couldn't pull up a thesaurus? Any combination of two humans, two robots, or two explosions. Once again, like I said, real breaking new ground here at the Razzies. Any combination of two characters, two sex toys, and two or two sex... That's your best? You couldn't just say... You couldn't just say Dakota Johnson and... What's his name? Uh, what, who was it? Who's the Christian Grey? I don't know. Whoever that guy is. You couldn't say those two? Just say that? Any any two obnoxious emojis? God, this is... I write better than this. I could come up with better nominees than this. Worst screen combination. Just, you know... Just the... I don't, uh, uh, yeah, Tyler Perry and his, and his outfit. You know, you don't need ratty old dress or the worn out wig. You don't... Dr- Johnny Depp and his... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Keith Richards impression. You know? Michael Bay, Michael Bay and your childhood. 
Uh, Dakota Johnson and anything overtly... Dakota Johnson and her parents in the audience. <laughs> you know, so, something. Do so, Like, it's, SNL made that joke. Uh, we're supporting actress. Nominee, Susan Sarandon for Bad Mom's Christmas. Goldie Hawn for Snatched. And she was the best part of that movie, man. Laura Haddock for Transformers 5. Sophia Patella for The Mummy. And Kim Basinger winning for Fifty Shades Darker. Uh, we're supporting actor Anthony Hopkins for Collide and Transformers The Last Night. Uh, Josh Duhamel for Transformers The Last Night. Russell Crowe for The Mummy. Javier Bardem for Mother and Pirates of the Caribbean 5. And Mel Gibson winning for Daddy's Home 2. Worst Actress, Emma Watson for The Circle. Jennifer Lawrence for Mother. Dakota Johnson for Fifty Shades Darker. Catherine Heigl for Unforgettable. And Tyler Perry for Boo to a Medea Halloween. Get it, because he's in drag. <laughs> God, the movie itself made enough uh, transgender jokes. We don't need the Razzies to, con- to perpetuate that. Mark Wahlberg for be- Worst Actor. Daddy's Home 2 and Transformers 5. Zac Efron for Baywatch. There it is. Jamie Dornan for Fifty Shades Darker. Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean 5. And the worst actor they thought was Tom Cruise for The Mummy. I beg to disagree. I believe Mark Wahlberg is clearly the worst of the actors, as well as Johnny Depp. But, yeah. Uh, worst director. Alex Kurtzman for The Mummy. James Foley for The Fifty Shades Darker. Michael Bay for Transformers 5. Darren Aronofsky for Mother. And Tony and the winner, Tony Leonidas for, for the Emoji Movie. And then the worst picture nominees. Uh, Transformers The Last Night. The Mummy, Fifty Shades Darker, Baywatch, and the Emoji Movie winning for Worst Picture. And yeah, I get it. It's to mock the mock the use of the emoji movie as an actual existing thing when it's just corporate selling out. Just anything to try and gr- glam on to a trend and make money off of it. I get that. You can be more clever about it than the what the Razzies do. Hell, if I was put in charge of the Razzies, I could do way better. You know, it could come up... They're way worse. Like, why isn't, uh... What's his name from for Chips on here? Uh, Dak Shepard. Once again, Mother was not Darren Aronofsky's best, but drop mostly Mother hate and put in Chips where it belongs. Honestly, Chips could... could reel in most of this. Why isn't Charlie Sheen on here for 9-11? Yeah, remember 9-11? That was the thing that came out, but hey, it wasn't popular. To talk about. These are the movies that are it's, that it's popular to hate. There's way worse out there. And I talk, that's, that's, that's why I talked about it in my, worst, in my least favorite list. Because there's way lower quality movies than what it's popular to dump on. And the Razzies are nothing but, but terrible coattail riders of the rest of Hollywood dumping on something that they don't like. That's all it is, and that seems to be all it ever was. So, along with the Oscars, maybe we should dump the Razzies, too. Because the Oscars have, so, have slowly started to prove themselves uh, obsolete and very out of touch. I mean, we've kind of already acknowledged that, but this year especially, they're just hammering it home as a bunch of old white dudes in charge of everything. And they have, no, they have a preference, and it ain't anything with colored people or women in it. 
That being said, uh, having now seen the uh, Oscar ceremony in full tonight, I gotta say, I was there was a there was a nice bit of surprise there. Um, most of the winners were predictable. They were the same winners from the BAFTAs, from the Critics' Choice, the Producers Guild, and the Golden Globes. So you've got uh, Frances McDormand for Best Actress, Sam Rockwell for supporting. Um, uh, Allison, Allison Janney for supporting, uh, Gary Oldman for Best Actor, um, Guillermo del Toro won for Shape of Water, uh, as did, uh, the composer for Shape of Water, um, Coco won for Best Picture, for Best Animated Picture, Notch, I mean, Natch, I mean, of course, what, 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 what? you're gonna give it to Boss Baby? Oh, God. Can't believe I was even nominated. Just goes to show how few animated movies the the Academy even goes to see. But that's a whole other story. Um, uh, Costume designer was for Phantom Thread, which, you know, it's about a clothier. It's about a fashion designer, so I would hope so. Um... Blade Runner run Blade Runner twenty forty nine won uh, for Roger Deakins as cinematographer and for production and for uh, visual effects. Uh, Shape of Water won for production design. Dunkirk took sound editing, mixing, and I think vis- visual editing as well. Um, a be- uh, um, what what's it? The Chilean nominee won for won for best foreign language film. Here we go. Uh, cover that, cover that, cover that. Uh, Call Me By Your Name won for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, but the surprise winner was Get Out. Jordan Peele uh, did the upset because most of the original screenplay awards have been going to Martin McDonough for Three Billboards. So to see Jordan Peele get not, to take the win over that is shocking, honestly. Like, it was either Three Billboards or The Shape of Water to win. Bet. Those have been the previous winners. So, for Jordan Peele to get the Oscar when he hadn't been getting winning any of the previous awards is is a real upset. Uh, a Fantastic Woman uh, was the Chilean movie. That won Best Foreign Language Film. Icarus, which was about the uh, Russian doping scandal, won for Best Documentary Feature. Heavy is a Traffic Jam on the 405, won for Short. Documentary Short, The, the Silent Child, which is about a... A young girl who is born deaf, uh, won for best live action short, and Dear Basketball by Glenn Keane and Kobe Bryant won for best animated short over uh, Lou, which was the Pixar animated short that came out this past year. Uh, one, the one about the bully who gets tormented by the lost and found items. Uh, Remember Me by from Coco won for best original song, which I'm just I'm honestly just glad that The Greatest Showman can't be an Academy Award winner. Because screw that movie and screw the man it's praising. Uh, yeah, sound, sound of editing, uh, sound mixing, cinematography, covered that. Darkest Hour won Best Hair and Makeup. Yeah, that's about, that That covers it. Uh, it was mostly a predictable night. The only thing was Jimmy Kimmel is not funny. Which makes sense. He's a late night talk show host. I mean, aside from Craig Ferguson and I think Stephen Colbert... John Stewart, if you count the Daily Show, uh, 
and John Oliver, if you count uh, this last week tonight. Most most late night talk show hosts aren't that funny. I mean, even Conan O'Brien isn't as funny because that's the thing. Late night talk shows are just you interviewing somebody for a fluff piece. They're fluff piece interviews. They're not all that hard hitting, and they're also not all that entertaining. Honestly, like. There's a reason Jimmy Fallon is able to succeed there, as is Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> and honestly, Seth Meyers. Because if Seth Meyers was really funny, he'd be making the same kind of comedies as other SNL alums are making, or he'd be doing a sketch show. He's doing a late-night talk show because he's bland enough to host airtime. He's bland enough to take up space on the air, which is what a talk show host is, all, is ultimately. Like... Even Johnny Carson was just basically there to take up airspace and to interview people in fluff pieces. Like, he made, I mean, it was good that he featured stand up as well. But it's also, it's not like he was, if he was on, if he was honestly really that funny, he would not be the one hosting the show. He would be the one performing on the show. So, having these talk show hosts uh, host the Oscars. Namely, one, it's it's not all that. It's just kind of once again there. Like that's the whole thing. Um, the Ryan Seacrest now that uh, the accusations are coming out about him uh, and the way he's treated. His, you know, some of the women who were who were uh, were like I think one, the one with the stylist. But the whole the women coming out against Ryan Seacrest. Who cares if Ryan Seacrest is there? Like, do you... Is, Ryan Seacrest is not worth saving. He is a bland white dude there to take up airspace. He is... The only reason he you keep him around is because he shows up. You could literally have anybody with a warm body who shows up do the same job and probably better. Like, all the whole night I was commenting on, oh, Tiffany Haddish should host the Oscars. Oh, this person is funnier than the host. Oh, this person's actually funny. Oh, this person let her go. Jay, uh, not Jane, yeah, Jane Fonda. Not, there's Jodie Foster and Jane Fonda uh, towards the end. But Jane Fonda let out a great one-liner about Barbarella. You know, she made a quick reference to Barbarella uh, um, before her, uh, before she and Helen Mirren uh, announced the uh, leading actor. But, yeah, Jimmy Kimmel is honestly not that funny. He did another bit where he took celebrities to go meet regular people. As though, like, that's, like, that, like somehow that's funny. Or that that's entertaining. It's, it's like, oh, look at these people, their reactions to what they're seeing. Celebrities. Don't these people live in Hollywood? Like, I mean, yeah, they're celebrities, so they're not going to always meet, see these people on the street. But at the same time, like... You can't be all that shocked. And, of course, the guy that he picked to read the category leading into the next... The guy that he picked to lead into the next category could barely read. Apparently didn't even know Tiffany Haddish's name. Ugh. The, the, Jimmy Kimmel just is not funny. And I would be... If he, the only reason he's even hosting the awards is because he's paid by ABC already. So they get to keep it in-house. If ABC even gave, gave any semblance of a damn about putting on good Oscars, they would go out of house every time. Because they wouldn't be relying on hackneyed, overpaid, late-night talk show hosts to run their thing. Get a John Oliver. 
get a get a Tiffany Haddish. Get somebody who's genuinely funny and charismatic to host the damn thing. I could see a Mark Hamill host at Oscars. He's genuinely funny enough to make that work. Hell, BB-8. Well, I would prefer BB-8 hosting the Oscars to Jimmy Kimmel again. Just, just stop with Kimmel. Stop trying to make Kimmel a thing. He's not. He he genuinely doesn't have that much going on for him. He's just once again like Ryan Seacrest, like Jimmy Fallon, is just a white dude who shows up. That's not good enough anymore. We I demand better from these things. Uh, anyway. Um, like uh, that, that uh, I could go on and on. Like I said about uh, the how the Oscars are genuinely just, just completely overrated. They, like I said, they were they were create the, the Academy was created as a workaround for labor unions, uh, and the Academy members are all old white dudes who don't who gen- who honestly don't even watch the films they vote on. Academy. The least you could do as an Academy member is watch the damn movie. Just like before bed every night, watch a movie. You have 365 days, or even like even leading up to the Oscars, you have like 40 days to pick to watch all of the nominees before you turn in your ballots. Just do that. New Year, New, the day after New Year's, January 2nd, every night since then, you start watching one of these nominees. And then you make your notes, you make your comments, and you... I do more work to pick, to pick winners, to pick my favorite and least favorite movies than the Academy members do to pick the best picture of the year. I think that's, what, I think that's the part that kills me, that these people are so out of touch and just disinterested in the whole method that it, as long as the, it, it all comes down to producers, you know, shellacking their egos, you know, like, Oh, watch this one. It's right up your alley. I mean, this, that's what, that, that's why Oscar baiting became a thing because there, there are literally just dumbass fish sitting in the water waiting to be caught. You know, they're not even like wild fish that can be, that they require, you know, some teasing and some tempting. They are literally koi pond fish that you could catch with a net. They're so easily caught by Oscar bait. But, uh, but at the same time, what sucks is while the Razzies are, can be completely removed and it's not going to change anything, the Oscars have become so ingrained in Hollywood that to completely remove them from the process would do, would would cause astronomical changes to the system. I'd be okay with that, but at the same time, it's gonna be it. It, it would take it would take something ma- it would take something massive to completely disengage Hollywood from wanting to please the Academy. It would take it. It genuinely would take uh, something massive for them to finally just be done with everything and just to stop. Being being who they are and to make real changes, but uh, I honestly don't expect it anytime soon. You know, it was nice that you know there. It's nice to see an upset where like Jordan Peele won over Martin McDonough uh, when it was when the odds were against him. But at the same time, I don't expect real change to come from the Academy. 
I don't because while the the system is changing around them, they are still the old folks' retirement home of Hollywood. And until they until they make let's I don't know let's make a cap. You can't be over eighty and still be a mem and still be a, a, an active member. Then you become a legacy member, and you don't even have to do anything at that point. Keep the le- keep the members of the the voting members of the academy active. Make sure they actually watch the damn movies. Is that too much to ask? That's because that's all I'm asking is that the Academy members actually watch the damn movies they want to vote on. Not only that, but actually pick movies that are worthwhile. No more animated features. No more an- <laughs> nominees like like freaking uh, ba- Boss Baby and Ferdinand. We need genuinely. Good. There are so many better animated movies to come out that last year that didn't even get recognition because the Academy is so damn out of touch. And it, it, it's something that, unfortunately, I, you, you, you almost want to bring a whole torch to the system and just be like, nope, burn it down. Burn it all down. Nope, not worth saving. Just burn it. Burn it all. You know, it's like the de- it's like having a a field of so much dead grass that you're just better off burning the whole thing down and starting over. It 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 really is just to that point almost. Uh, if it feels like if we're at that we're to that point where you just want to just take a take a take a you know take a torch to the whole thing and just be like burn it, burn it all. Not worth saving in the least. Burn it, burn it all down. So yeah. Uh, the 90th Academy Awards, uh, pretty standard ceremony. The guest presenters were better than the host, but the host is Jimmy Kimmel, so you can honestly, you be, once again, a beeping, booping animatronic uh, prop is, be- is a better host than the one ABC gate let- is forcing down our throats. Um, so hopefully next year, hopefully next year we can get somebody out of the ABC system to host or get somebody just just plain worth watching somebody who's genuinely funny as a host instead of some douchebag white boy again uh count on your not it would take both hands to count on your to count how many douchebag white boys are the host of things just because they're there they exist they take up space and they show up so they're there Anyway, that 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 we're finally done with the award season. We can move on to the rest of the year. And with that in mind, let's uh, let's uh, round up the episode with a look at the trailers for next week. We've got uh, four. Uh, while No Malone never made it to uh, theaters in my area, um, the numbers is listing four new releases for next weekend. Uh, the the ninth, we've got Gringo, which is from Amazon Studios, which is about um, uh, a pot, you know, a pot, uh, you know, it, it has a pharmaceutical trying to make a pot uh, uh, cannabis pill, and they have dealings with the cartel. Uh, we got the Hurricane Heist, which is a stupid uh, disaster heist movie. Uh, name says it all. The Stranger sequel, and then Ava DuVernay's A Wrinkle in Time, which is. Uh, which is what, the one I'm looking forward to and the one I'm going to see first. 
So uh, let's take a look at those trailers. First up, A Wrinkle in Time. Ooh. I hope that's the official uh, Disney Castle logo. disappearance as an excuse to act out, May. He's not coming back, is he? Don't give up hope. Oh, she don't see like this shining. I mean, the only thing I'm not into He believes that we can travel the universe instantaneously. Is um fold space. More like we wrinkle it. You must really miss him. More than anything in the universe. Then how about we go and find him? Let's go! Dad was right. It really is possible. Oh, damn. This is my favorite planet in the entire galaxy. There's a hope for you in the dark. I mean, the only thing I don't, I'm not into is the Alessia Cara song. Your father has done an extraordinary thing, but he may be in danger. Your father's alive. We believe he is. And the only one who can find him is you. You're kidding. Do I look like I'm kidding? A little. I'm not. I'm not. You're going to be tested every step of the way. Have faith in who you are. I'll try. How far will you go for faith? Yeah, I would have probably just gone with uh, either. Um, like, I I was fine with the um, Sweet Dreams sort of redub and, and like that that sort of down. I mean, as as dumb as that um, that trope is, I I much more appreciated that Sweet Dreams uh, cover than just. Plugging in Alessia Cara's song in there, it doesn't feel right, honestly. Uh, but eh, whatever, you know. I mean, the still movie still the visuals still look amazing, and I'm really excited for it. I also they also premiered the uh, trailer for um, Mary Poppins Returns uh, during the Oscars, and I gotta say, looks it, it, it looks solid. Uh, I mean, it definitely looks more cinematic than the original did, which is a lot more saturated and brightly colored. This is more toned down, which I feel is weird. I feel like you'd almost want to keep that same saturation level to maintain the continuity between movies, but whatever. Uh, Riggle in Time looks great. Can't wait. Next up, gr the gr uh, just Gringo. Not the Gringo. Gringo. Medical marijuana is already a multi- Oh, hey, Joel Edgerton. I just saw you in a pretty, in a pretty uh, bad movie. I'm not sure about this. Look, most people will tell you as Aldrin walked on the moon. And even a complete idiot will tell you Neil Armstrong did it first. And do you know why he went first? 
was the hatch opened on his Because side. he pushed Buzz Aldrin out of the way. And seized history by the ball sack. I'm satisfied. <laughs> Harold, you're going to fly to Mexico and deliver the formula to the lab. I <laughs> moved. This is really bad timing. On March 9th. You tell whoever's got you. There is no deal unless they come way down on the price. What? Harold, can, can we call you back? <laughs> David Oyolo. Charlize Theron. So bad for the guy. Joel Edgerton. I'm focused. I am focused. Amanda Seyfried. Somebody's going down. Candy what Newton. going on? And Charlotte O'Coakley. You work for bad people. <laughs> I don't think you can survive that. I don't think you can. Oh, no, 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 Dumari. Please, God, save me from this man. You really believe in God? Of course I believe in God. What kind of person does not believe in God? I guess I kind of do, but... In theaters, March 9th. I just hope it's as fun as that sounds. I hope that's not the best... Uh, part of the trailer is all I'm saying, you know? I hate when that's the case, where the the best parts of the movie are in the trailer. And so we'll wait and see. Uh, we'll see if that comes out in my area. I hope it does, because I'm really excited for it, because I love the cast lineup. And what I've seen is seen, seen like a lot of fun. Next up, The Strangers 2. Uh, what was it? They Pray at Night? Pray at Night. Alrighty, let's take a look. This place seems empty. I think everybody leaves after Labor Day. Feels weird to see Christina Hendricks and something like this. Nice, right? Like I expect her to be in bigger stuff, you know? I mean, what? I mean, like I know it's post Bad Men, so it's not like she's gonna be in the biggest stuff. But like, I don't know, man. Is Tamara home? I think you have the wrong trailer. I thought we were all alone. What the hell? Dad? Based on true events? Seriously? You can run. You can hide. Or you can fight. Like hell. Confusing. Do they want to be a uh, serious horror movie? Do they want to play it straight? Or are they going for the more comedic, horror-like, trashy horror B-movie sort of thing? I don't remember. I thought the first The Strangers wanted to play it straight, 
But this trailer makes it feel like they're trying to play it more comedically, like a B-movie or, you know, those old slasher movies from the 80s. You know, kind of like how Happy Death Day was trying to be that. But we'll have to wait and see. I never saw the first one. I'm going to have to watch that in the lead up to this. Uh, but but uh, I don't know, man. Not exactly. Not looking forward to it, but mm, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I'll make my fi- I'll save my final judgment for the for the actual movie. And then lastly, the Hurricane Heist. I mean, the title just says it all, doesn't it? There's a hurricane coming. We gotta go. Entertainment Studios always sounds like it's a made-up front for, like, money laundering. Oh, what... (laughs) Oh, what's our movie studio called? Um, Entertainment Studios Motion Pictures. (laughs) And Triple X. Oh, boy. Turn around now. He said that for like uh, his closet of guns. The ultimate storm. I knew today was going to be for the perfect heist. Buckle up. Here comes the horse boy. Make it rain. That thing wants to swallow us whole. Hell of a day, ain't it? Hell of a day. This feels like an asylum movie. $600 million stolen at 600 miles per hour. Get the money. This reeks of an asylum picture, doesn't it? Don't you see this kind of era on, like, the sci-fi network? What is it doing in theaters? What is this? Why would you pay 10 bucks to see something you would watch at home on Netflix, you know? What? Oh, the Hurricane Heist looks looks like the... I mean, if it if it plays up to the, what the trailer's trying to present, we're going to get some dumb kind of fun. So we'll wait. So hopefully that's what we get. Hopefully it's the dumb kind of fun and I'm able to have a good time at its expense. Because I mean, it's obviously not taking itself too seriously. It called itself the Hurricane Heist. Uh, anyway, uh, they also uh, have the trailer for Deep Blue Sea 2. Uh, yep. They're, uh, I can't wait for LL Cool J to do the song for that one too. Deeper, bluer, that my hand is my hat is like a shark's fin again. Uh, true fact, that is a the- that the theme to Deep Blue Sea was LL Cool J saying, uh, deepest blue is my, I think it's either his hat or his hand is like a shock fin. Ah, oh, God, that song is so bad. Uh, perfectly fitting for the crappy movie it came from. Anyway, 
That about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, please go to go to G-U-M-B-I-E-C-A-T-Networks.com and, cl- and favorite that page. And there you'll not only be able to keep up to date with all the new episodes of Popcorn Junkie, but all of our other fine programming, which I highly recommend you check out. We got all kinds of stuff on there. Um, we are going through a bit of a. I think we are going through some personnel changes. I know uh, um, we've been wanting to meet together. Uh, pretty we're, the people, all of us on Gumby Cat are going to meet together later this week and discuss stuff. But uh, we'll keep you know. I'll keep you abreast of any th- major changes happening to the network. But for right now, things seem to be staying the course. Um, uh, if you aren't, if you don't, if you want to use uh, uh, whatever kind of podcast app you're most comfortable with, your podcast, you know, your various podcatchers. Uh, I use Overcast. I've also used Downcast in the, as well, and you know, whatever app works best for you. Uh, uh, just look for Popcorn Junkie, and as long as they're over a hundred episodes, you're good. That means the Libsyn is uh, streaming directly to you. I'm also on Spotify. Uh, as of switching over to Libsyn. So, if you want to keep up to date on new episodes, just just whatever feed you use to subscribe to podcasts, look for Popcorn Junkie, and if you see my orange mug chomping on popcorn, staring at the movies, and you see we're in the triple digits, then that means you're all, you're all up to date. And if not, just let me know at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com, and I will try to stay, and I'll try to fix that for you. Uh... If you want, if you and if you want to help spread the, spread the podcast, uh, be sure to leave a five star rating and review, as well as share it on your various social media. I our social media home is pop is facebook.com slash popcorn junkie, and there you'll find all the major announcements, new episodes, um, uh, when I'm seeing a new release, that sort of stuff. When I when I stream on Saturdays, I announce it there. So if you want to keep up to date on the major news, follow us at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. If you want to keep in touch with me more directly and join me for some fun side stuff, I do the trailer talk and the munch along over on Twitter at cornjunkiepod. So if you follow at cornjunkiepod on Twitter, there you'll get the Facebook feed plus some more interaction with me. I just live tweeted the Oscars tonight, so you can see my thoughts as I went through them. Uh, over there, and I also do munch-alongs during movies that I'm watching that are either really bad in the theaters, really bad in an empty theater, or at home by myself. And uh, I also do the trailer talk segment for the new for the trailers that appear before a new release. And if you want to keep in touch with me there, I'm very interactive on that side of things. So follow me there. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. Uh, mainly that's where a lot of the feed to the Facebook page co- goes to. That's where I post, uh, my tickets for when I'm seeing a new release and the image and the, uh, announcements for the new episodes. Uh, trying to figure out what to do with the Instagram to keep it, uh, more, to make it more active and interactive. But, uh, what the, um, you know, so if you have any ideas for maybe, inter- uh, Instagram, uh, seg- segments that would work. Then you know, suggest that you can you you can suggest them to me on the at the through email and whatnot. But uh, you know, I'm gonna I really want to try and flesh out the Instagram account. Uh, you can follow me on Stardust 
I've been very I've been much more active through Stardust now. Uh, there you can also you can also follow other movie viewers. Uh, most of the Double Toasted crew is over on Stardust now. Corey Coleman, Martin Nofro, um, Corey Goodwin, and Patrick Gertz are all on there, as well as Jeremy Johns, the uh, Schmozno guys, Epic Voice guy, the other John Bailey online. He his uh, he does epic voiceovers and he even does great impression videos. So, like, he just did um, Will Ferrell for The House and uh, John C. Riley for Wreck-It Ralph 2. Uh, he, he has an amazing, almost pitch-perfect Chris Hemsworth that he'll do from time to time. But, uh, yeah, so you can follow all sorts of uh, personalities over on Stardust, both the ones you know from other places as well as new faces that you might not recognize. And then you can share your own thoughts. So go to Stardust, uh, look up for the Stardust app on your mobile store and download it and look for a popcorn junkie to follow me and share some of your own thoughts movies trailers tv episodes whatever it's basically vine for reactions and it's a lot of fun i'm i'm having a great time with it uh and uh, i stream like i said on saturday so we're at twitch.tv slash popcorn junkie pwh i'm hoping to make a shift to youtube but it's going to require a lot of editing and i've got a major backlog that i need to work through so uh my work's cut out for me so i just have to sit down and do it unfortunately and that's the hard part is taking setting the time aside to actually do that but whatever that's behind the scenes inside baseball stuff uh point is you can follow me on saturdays uh at noon eastern time on twitch.tv slash popcorn junkie pwh uh we just finished uh the campaign for uh star wars battlefront 2 classic edition the 2005 pandemic version not the last year's ea disaster uh we also just finished we also uh, had a bit of an issue with um a certain ROM hack for a Nuzlocke. It, did, it ended up not working out. So um, I'm going to try... I'm going to look at other stuff. Uh, unfortunately, I'm kind of limited to what I can do with Nuzlocke's because most... Because uh, the, uh, the um, emulators I have aren't exactly, you know, friendly. When it, aren't exactly uh, the, be- the most optimal when it comes to uh, streaming. Uh, I, so I'll either have to figure that out or I'll have to save up and uh, get... Get that uh, 3D capture card for um, Kazukiti and uh, and have that sent over to start streaming. But that's, once again, all inside baseball, behind-the-scenes uh, nonsense. So so if you want to, I think uh, for next for this coming Saturday, the 9th, uh, well, the 10th, for the Friday's the 9th. But for this, for, for this Saturday, I'm going to start doing, uh, working my way through Mega Man. So, uh... We're going to start, we're going to go through the Mega Man Legacy Collection and start with Mega Man 1 and see if we can't, see if I can't finally beat all the Mega Man games. I have a a lot, you know, Mega Man was one of those games that was always difficult for me. I I think I've beaten two. I think I've beaten two. I'm pretty sure I've beaten either four or five, but I'm not exact, but I've never been the most adept at it. So if you want to watch me suck at Mega Man, join me on Saturday at noon Eastern Time uh, at twitch.tv slash popcornjunkiepwh and watch me suck at Mega Man. Yeah! Uh, Anything else you want to say to the podcast? Any kind of feedback you want to give? Any kind of suggestions or um, corrections you want me to make? If you, you know, if, 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 uh, 
if if I made a mistake, please feel free to correct me. I have no problem uh, making up for my mistakes. Uh, send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com, and I'll either get back to you privately, or if you want, I'll relay your message on the podcast. That about does it for me for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and the producers of Deadpool 2 got Joy Harris killed, and she was left out of the in memoriam for the Oscars. And I'm not letting the, I'm not letting that one go. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. You know, community care, anything like that. But, uh, I got a text from my mom. I'm not sure what that's about. But, um, thanks, uh, Obi Wan.